Welcome back to That Black Theatre Podcast with me, Nadine and Nadia. So on today's episode, we're talking about the 1930s and the brilliant playwright, poet, broadcaster and activist Una Marson. So the 1930s are a really interesting decade because we only have three plays in the BPA and I think they're all really important. One of the key plays that is in there is Tucson Louverture by C.L.R. James and that was a really important play about the first successful slave revolt in Haiti but we won't be talking about that today so we'll get that out of the way. What we're going to be talking about is Una Marson and her brilliant work. So in 1933 she wrote the play At What a Price and that was the first play to have an all-black cast in it in London and in 1938 she wrote Pocomania. So let's take it away and talk about Una Marson. So Nadia, did you know anything about Una before we started looking into her for the podcast? Nothing. Nothing. I didn't know. I hadn't heard of her at all. Um, but she was an incredible woman. Incredible. So obviously, after doing some research and speaking to you, I learned that she was the first black woman to be hired as a broadcaster by the BBC, by the big BBC. Yeah. And that is, that's amazing. Like, you have to really deep that. That's actually the, the, the first black woman to be hired by the BBC. And what year was that? Yeah. 1941 to 1946. So shall we talk a little bit about who she was and what she did? Mm-hmm. So, Una Marsden was born in 1905 in Santa Cruz, Jamaica. And she died in 1965 in Jamaica too. She lived and worked in London from 1932 to 1936 and from 1938 to 1946. She was a poet, playwright, broadcaster, anti-colonialist and feminist activist. So as Nadia said, she was the first woman to work as a broadcaster for the BBC, hired to work on Calling the West Indies in 1942 and she began broadcasting Caribbean Voices, a programme which discovered and performed Caribbean literary work on the radio that same year. Una was a trailblazer and challenged what many might perceive a black woman in Britain to be during the 1940s and 50s. She campaigned against racism and sexism and navigated everyday racism in what she called the white, white city of London with courage, articulately writing about her experiences as an independent black woman in the West. A true cosmopolitan of her time, she travelled across the globe from Jamaica to Israel and worked with many of Britain's most beloved and famous writers, including George Orwell and T.S. Eliot. But what we're really here to talk about today is Una Marson's work as a playwright. So, as a bit of historical context, in the first half of the 20th century, um, there were a healthy number of black people living in Britain throughout. Uh, the country so uh, it's important to remember that the largest black communities in the UK were in London's East End Liverpool, Bristol and um, Cardiff's Tiger Bay and there were other communities in South Shields in Tyne and Ware and in Glasgow and one key thing I think is really important is we need to think about how the British Empire was implicated in all of this so Una was living in Jamaica before she came over to the UK and up until 1962 at this point Jamaica was still a British colony so 
people in Jamaica were learning um, the English curriculum, they were speaking English, they were practicing Christianity, not all of them, but it was um, becoming more dominant, and they were singing God Save the Queen, and had pictures of uh, the Queen in their schools. So British culture and so-called British values were really entrenched into um, Jamaican life at this point. I think that's really important to to remember because one of the things that Una was fighting against was colonialism and the impact it was having on Jamaica and her people at that time. So let's move on to the plays. In 1933, Una wrote At What a Price and it was staged at the YMCA Central Club in Great Russell Street. The play was such a success that it was also performed at the Scala Theatre and it was the first play in London to be written and performed by an entirely black creative team. So what do you think about that? I mean, that is crazy. What do you think about that? 1933? I mean, people were shocked when Beyonce did her whole um, all-black female um, band in Glastonbury. So 1933? Yeah, and I mean, when you think about it now, the amount of plays that have an all-black creative team... uh, I don't think I could name a single one oh, to you right now. Can't. It's very rare. That is. She was a bad. She was bitch. a badass. Bad bitch. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Marson said of the play, she said, "We did not make money, but we made history," and she did make history, and she also performed in the play as well. And that's something she did a lot. She performed in her plays, and she also helped make the costumes for her plays. So following. Um, at what a price. In 1938, uh, Una produced the play Pocomania. This is the one I'm most interested in. Uh, so this play discusses Jamaican religious practices of, Proc- of Pocomania, which I'd never known about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought, seeing as we need to learn more about this play and learn more about, more about Una, we should talk to an expert. So I had an interview with the brilliant Delia Jarrett McCauley, who wrote uh, the biography about Una Martin. So keep listening and you'll hear the interview with Dee. Our guest today is Delia Jarrett McCauley. She is a novelist, writer, academic and broadcaster. She's written several novels, um, but what we're really interested today is to talk about Una Martin. And Dee's written a great biography um, about Una called The Life of Una Martin. Dee, welcome to the podcast and thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, um, I just wondered if you could briefly give us some insight on who Una Marsden was and why she's such an important figure in British and Jamaican history. Hmm. Well, I discovered Una Marsden sort of back in the late 1980s and I was very interested in the historical past of black British women. And when I discovered her, I was amazed to think that this woman who had come to Britain in the 1930s and had ended up working as a producer at the BBC, uh, running the Caribbean service, was not better known um, to me and my generation. Um, I mean, in some ways, rather like now, with the Black Lives um, Matter movement, we were very taken up at the time with linking black women's activism 
um, and all questions to do with race and class. And in Unimarsen, we have a person who, obviously, many uh, decades ago, was already really um, a trailblazer um, in linking questions of gender and race. Um, she was highly literate, obviously, because she was a poet and a playwright and a journalist, and she became a broadcaster. She was educated in Jamaica. So in that sense, um, she was a suitable person to write about because of such an established Jamaican population here in Britain from Windrush onwards. Um, so I think, you know, a very interesting story. Um, although she didn't come to Britain until... Uh, 1932, when she was in her late 20s, in some ways she very much came of age in England. This is where she you know, became her full self, if you like. And I think the significance of her working at the BBC um, is that it gives us an example of a black woman engaged in a major British institution at a time long before we talked about issues to do with equality and diversity and representation. Um, so it's a very important journey that she made, and I think it's very significant for all of those who are descendants of the Windrush generation, but actually for the wider, obviously the wider British population as well. Thank you. Yeah, I think she really was a trailblazer, and um, I certainly knew very little about her before... Um, I started my PhD, I'm looking at black women playwrights, and right. I knew about her poetry, but I didn't know much else about her. I, I didn't, I mean, I, I didn't know that she had written plays, and I didn't know about her um, feminist activism either. So she was doing all of this work, you know, so long ago, and yes. it feels like in some ways um, she... She really set a precedent for a lot of people who came after her, but she was also working with all of these contemporaries that I feel like I know a lot more about. Like I know a lot about um, T.S. Eliot and Ted Hughes and George Orwell. And she was contemporaries yes. to all of those really, really major figures. And yes. um, yeah, it's it's a, it's a real shame that she's not more widely known about because she was yeah. a really, really important woman and really inspiring. Yes. Well, I think it tells us something, doesn't it, about the nature of history, how it's constructed, who is remembered, who is left out. Um, unfortunately, it's rather typical that significant black women, um, significant in several sort of cultural ways, both in Jamaica and here in Europe, are missed out of the history books. Um, and certainly in literary terms, I've compared her elsewhere with Zora Neale Hurston, uh, the African-American writer and anthropologist who had to be rediscovered, if you like. And then when she was rediscovered, um, you know, people were crazy about her work and thought it was absolutely wonderful. Um, and if you like, she had that rediscovery had a considerable amount of backing from the American Academy. Whereas here in the UK, I think because Una came from the Caribbean, um, although she is now better known amongst some scholars and, and so on, um, she hasn't really been adopted by any kind of mainstream. 
And so um, the story and her significance does tend to remain in the footnotes of history. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a real shame. Um, yeah. And I think part of the podcast is to bring to light some of these important lesser known figures. Um, yeah. And make the access to those works a bit less elitist as well. Yes. Um, yeah, so um, we're focusing on the Black Plays Archive for this podcast and Una's the first black woman playwright in the archive. She's the first one mm -hmm. that I found. Um, and I wondered, um, many people don't know about her work as a playwright. As I said before, I, I came to her through her poetry. Um, even though she uh, performed in and wrote At What a Price in 1933, I think, um, the first play in London that had an all-black creative team, which kind yes. of blows my mind a bit um, yes. that that happened so long ago. Um, yes. And she was kind of an all-rounder writing and performing and making costumes for uh, plays as well. Um, yeah, why do you think that we don't know so much about her as a playwright. I mean, I think you've touched on it a bit, but why do you think mm. her story as a playwright is a bit more submerged? Well, of course, there's always that difficulty unless a, unless a play script is printed up in a book. Um, theatre is that much more, you know, ephemeral, if you like, and it's great to catch performances, but obviously when they're gone, they're gone. Um, in uh, at an earlier age, you know, this is not a time when there was TV or video, no one was filming. And so that's really important. I think it's important too that um, through her poetry, um, Una was already very much in the habit of using her own life experience and presumably the life experiences of other young women around her to create and inform her work. Um, so she'd already published a couple of collections of poetry when she wrote the play. And the play At What a Price does centre on the female who finds herself somewhat trapped, um, as all women are, usually by you know the dictates of the society, what you should do and be as a daughter, and then your desire for freedom and independence. Um, so those things, you know, were obviously very important to her. They, they remain, you know, important themes. Um, but at the time that she was writing, uh, there were very few black people, certainly black middle-class people in the UK. Una belonged to the circle that formed around Harold Moody, who had set up the League of Coloured Peoples. So it was the young people she met through the League of Coloured Peoples, um, mainly students, um, and a few young professionals who came together and became, if you like, the actors and the creative team for Atwater Prize. So it wasn't like the professional productions that we know of nowadays, you know, if theatres like, I don't know, theatre of, you know, um, all sorts of theatres, I'd better not name any, but, you know, <laughs> um, across London, this is a, a distinct little group that came together to do this. Um, and they'd also been excited by the work that Paul Robeson was doing, Obviously, he was a great African-American you know, actor, uh, singer, star. And so I'm sure he, his presence got them all thinking much more about performance and, you know, the importance of tele 
telling one's story, you know, through through stage work and so on. Um, so yes, it was quite brave and very unusual at the time, but that's also to do with the sort of world that she existed in. Yeah, I think um, it feels to me like she wasn't just shaping what was happening on the stage. She was kind of, I guess, shaping the spaces of representation available to her as well Mm. which um is kind of groundbreaking considering the time that she was living in Um, yes yeah one of her plays that uh really struck me was pocomania um from 1938 and i think it struck me because i had never heard of the pocomania cult before so i was fascinated by that um but also the way she kind of talks about um, the way that women are uh, controlled and treated as though they are their, their um, behaviour is almost pathologised when it doesn't fit, you know, patriarchal and sexist um, paradigms. And I know you've said that she critiqued 20th century sexism in Jamaica um, through that play and kind of paved the way for modern Jamaican theatre that came afterwards. Mm. Um, so could you briefly explain why you think, well, do you think Pocomania is significant? And I do um, think it's very significant, yes. I mean, again, for those, um, if you like, autobiographical reasons, um, as it happens, Una herself was the daughter of uh, a Baptist deacon, so she understood um, exactly what it meant to be raised within the church and struggle against it. Um, But going even beyond that um, notion of the the personal, if you like, um, the church in the Caribbean, as indeed in Africa, has been obviously such an important force shaping and controlling society and people's notions of, of themselves. So to position Western Christianity against um, an African-based religious form in Bukomania um, was really sending up a challenge as to, you know, what is happening within the anti-colonial movement. Um, So from that point of view, the play certainly um, anticipates some of the work that came much later in Jamaica, you know, when independence came, the middle classes were still, and this is not a criticism, you know, many were still involved with classical English theatre, you know, Shakespeare, which I love, but um, I think with the work of not just Una Marston, but other playwrights who were beginning to look at um, their African traditions, um, it became a way of actually chat, you know, preparing for independence and making a shift, if you like, out of that colonial mindset into something new, something for the future. Yuna's uh, work was particularly cited by um, Sistron Theatre Company um, in Jamaica, Theatre Company of Women. And I think they were right to celebrate her voice in the way that they were celebrating the voice of 
um, Louise Bennett. So, you know, the language that was used, the use of nation language, the move away from standard English, um, the joy in looking at drama, if you like, in the Afrocentric culture, the dreams, the mysticism, all these things really made her, um, yeah, important and set, set a tone for something new. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, when I read that play, I felt um, it, I, th I think, I think um, when I was reading your biography, you said that she, she, she isn't being overtly feminist in that work, um, but, but she's kind of centering the narrative around women and women's issues. And um, I felt like there was almost like a quiet um, rebelliousness to her writing, yeah. um, which I think is brilliant. And um, and I just wondered, finally, uh, if I can ask one one more question, Sorry. if um, if you if you would like to see her work revived in the UK, because I, you know, you read these play scripts from years and years ago, and and uh, you know, obviously, theatre is made to be performed, and I. And there might have been revivals that I don't know about, but I don't know of any recent revivals of any of her work. And I wondered if you would like to see Una's work revived. Yes, I, I certainly would. I and I think that it um, it would be fitting to look at the plays within the context of what is happening now as well. That you know we we still haven't moved away from exploring what it is to deal with the impact of religion and other very great writers, you know, such as James Baldwin, Tony Morrison, many, many others have taken that on as a theme. So I think it would be very exciting for people to see the work and also to discuss it within the light of other plays or books that they've um, discovered, for sure. Thank you very much. Um... Dee, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure and you've enlightened um, so many of us, I'm sure, to, to Una's work. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you. Well, that was a brilliant interview. So before we deep dive into a discussion, I'll give you a brief summary of what Pokemania is about. So Pokemania is a um, religious practice and cult uh, in Jamaica and in um, West Africa. It stems from West Africa and in the play, as Dee uh, mentioned, Una Marson was drawing on a lot of her lived experience. In Pokemania, Stella is a young woman whose father is a, is a, a Christian religious leader and she becomes fascinated with the Pokemania cult and their dancing and the drums and the music and this kind of freedom that it gives her. She's an independent spirit who wants to kind of break free of patriarchal constructs that she finds herself in, in a pre-independence Jamaica. And she wants to um, become independent. She doesn't necessarily want to get married. She wants to um, be kind of emancipated from the confines of the Christianity that she kind of finds herself in and so I felt like the play was dealing with the tension between these um, 
Caribbean and West African religious practices and the kind of Christian Western um, values and colonisation and, and the legacies of that that were happening in, in Jamaica and that are still happening in Jamaica. And so it's kind of talking about these, these different tensions, but it's also centering the narrative around women's rights, women's rights to choose what they do with their life. And in that way, I, I felt like it was a really proto-feminist text, to be honest. What did you think of the play and what did you think of the interview, Nadia? Yeah, I thought... Um... I love the interview, I thought the interview was great. I'm glad that I didn't get to meet Dee, but um, she sounded amazing. Um, yeah, I kind of wanted to touch on a few things that she said. So that, that Una and um, Pokemania and all of the work that she did, yeah, I think it is really important to, to note just how groundbreaking her work was. Like, groundbreaking is not enough of a word like she literally broke down walls that had never been touched before um kind of kicked them down yeah completely and i think that's it's really important um i bet nadine was saying that she would love to see pokemania on stage now i think that would be incredible because when we're talking about um plays and especially black plays like I think you learn through other people's experiences you know like life is about lessons and I feel like through education we can find acceptance and I think you know Pokemania um, when you talk about a cult you don't necessarily think like music and drums and, and, and these feminist um, messages, but it has all of that intertwined. And you can really, when you're reading the play script, um, you can really imagine these drums and music mm-hmm. and dancing happening on stage. We were talking about the, the importance of the black aesthetic, the idea that black art is um, for us, by us and about us and when you think about the amount of work on theatre right now that isn't doing any of those things I think going back through the archives and reviving these works I mean I'd love to see it revived you know I think that would really be making work about us for us and if it's by us that's a massive bonus but I also think it should be by us too Mm -hmm. I think you never see that. I don't think I ever see anything, especially for us. There's nothing for us. There's a lot of stuff that is sucked from us and the culture. You mean appropriation? Yeah, appropriation or just generally people living and loving off of black culture um, from all over the world. But, you know when it comes to the nitty-gritty of it, people run. And I feel like Una was... Like, I really... I, I just can't believe how much of... Like, she broke ground. Like, <laughs> I can't break down groundbreaking enough. Like, she was, like, the most amazing earthquake to have ever happened back in the 20s. Like... And especially just, like, things like... um 
So Dee touched on the fact that she, her, her dad was a... Um, a deacon. A deacon, a Baptist deacon. She grew up in the church and... If you're not... If you don't know a lot of black people, or you don't, or you're, um... You're not black. <laughs> or you don't know much about Africa. You, you won't understand just how important religion is to Africa and the Caribbean and and where all of that stems from. I'll go back to slavery. Um, so for her that's to... That's another podcast. Yeah, that's another podcast. And for her to say, F this, Una to say, F this, I want to leave this all behind. Or not leave it all behind, but I, I'm going to go and I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to go and break ground and I'm going to go and educate people about my culture. I think that's amazing. Yeah. And then for that to be, for her to say, and then I'm going to put this on stage and you're going to watch it. And you're going to watch um, different aspects of Jamaican culture. So she she's not just talking about, because, you know, I think a lot of people know about the dominance of Christian values and Christianity in Jamaica. But for her to talk about Pokamania and um, and Kumina, which is another type of religious practice and cult and has a lot of dancing and drums and very interesting too. But to talk about these different aspects of an extremely diverse, interesting culture is really important to me because I often have problems with the... Uh, representation of black people on stage is that it's quite one-dimensional and it can be quite monolithic and for her to talk about these different religious practices from a woman's perspective as well in um, kind of pre-independence Jamaica when Jamaica was still under colonial rule when there were these anti-colonial sentiments and, and struggles happening it missed the tensions between traditional kind of West African and Caribbean religious practice and Christianity is really interesting. There's a lot of layers in this play, there's a lot going on. But as I said earlier in the interview, there's a quiet rebelliousness to it. Um, I think you could read this play and you'd see it as a woman's play or you might see it as a play about religion or you might see it as a play about... Um, a Jamaican family but there are so many different parts to it and I think she's juggling them all brilliantly which I, I find um, such a great achievement but to, to stage that in the 1930s um, when black people were being treated with such hostility when she was talking about these issues and talking about these different facets of black culture um, from her own lived experience, I think that's really brave. I think it's really um, important. Absolutely. And I think um, it's all it's how Una's work is still is still so relevant, which is scary, really. Going on a hundred years later, and we're still talking about the fact that black women are still so discriminated against in so many ways and completely um, omitted from a lot of the history I also think one more thing I wanted to say was 
Boone was living in London for quite a long time and working in London, like we've said. And she was working for the Keys um, magazine as part of Harold Moody's League of Coloured People, promoting um, black culture and equal rights and education. But I think something really important in the fact that she's talking about this stuff in Britain and, you know, I think it's easy for people to either forget or selectively remember um, British history or just not know about it because we aren't really taught about it in education widely. And I think looking at Una's story is a really good reminder that and I'll probably keep banging on about this throughout every episode, but it's a good reminder that British history is not about the British Islands. It's about several continents. You can't talk about British history without talking about the Caribbean or the African continent or the Americas. You just can't because the empire, colonialism and the Atlantic slave trade did not happen in one place. They happened in several continents, and Britain is connected to all of them through that. And I think that's why looking at Una's work is really important to me as well. Mm-hmm. I think, it, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's still so relevant today in terms of Black Lives Matter, that move, movement, and black women's activis- activism, like Dee said. Um, I really like that she didn't tone down her culture because I think that still happens now like people, people are just like not understanding of people's different cultural practices and so I really like that she was like oh this is my culture this is who I am like it's on stage watch it educate yourself and you're gonna love it and I don't give a f about mm-hmm. No bleeps given. Mm-hmm. So I really like that. I think that's really important. I think you learn through culture, don't you? Yeah, I mean, theatre is a vehicle for empathy. Mm-hmm. You know? So for her to put that up on stage and to make it accessible in a time where it probably wasn't invited, well, it definitely wasn't invited, but um, I think that's amazing. Well, it wasn't like those main any of the mainstream theatres were no. saying, "Come, come, put your work on at no. us, at our theatres." She had to work to get put work on anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, we said earlier she had at what a price performed at the YMCA. That wasn't exactly a big venue, you know. Mm-hmm. So she, she, you're right. She, she had to break down doors. <laughs> I love um, the name, sorry, just going back to I really like the name the League of Coloured People. I think yeah. it makes them sound like superheroes. I mean, they were. They were superheroes, they were superheroes. yeah, yeah. yeah. I just love that name. Yeah. Um, so, so, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was I have two questions for you. Mm-hmm. So, the first question is what do you think we can learn from what Una was talking about in Pokemania today? Can we learn from it? I mean, she was one of the first black women in Britain to openly discuss racism and sexism on a public platform. Um, In 1934, she told the News Chronicle, she said, in England, you come up against incidents which hurt so much, 
you cannot talk about them. I mean, I could have said that. The amount of times I could have said that to some to, to you <laughs> over the past couple of weeks. Every day. Every day of <laughs> my life. <laughs> so that's the first question I had for you. And the second is, do you want to see Pokemania on the stage again? Yes. I say again as if we've seen it. <laughs> but I mean again as in from when it was first uh, performed. I think we can definitely learn from Una and Dee. Thank you, Dee, for writing this biography um, about Una. Otherwise, you know, we wouldn't be here talking about it right now. And Una, 100 years ago, doing all of this groundbreaking work, and I feel like there have been a lot of times where I personally have felt like I have imposter syndrome and feel like I should be grateful for to even be in a space to talk. Um, which is mad, but, you know. And I just think it's amazing that 100 years ago she was like, I have every right to be here just as much as you do. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, and, and I think it's important that these things are put up on stage for people to watch you learn through you learn through watching and reading and you know seeing seeing people's culture on stage i think is amazing you know like and it would have been really nice if in school i could have read pokemania instead of reading um Romeo and Juliet or that Pound of Flesh play by Shakespeare um, <laughs> because it was boring and sorry <laughs> like, I'm sorry it was it was boring like what did I learn from it what did I learn nothing who did I see that looked like me nobody how does that relate to my life now whatsoever whereas I can say to you, as again, what Nadine said, in England you come across, from this is from Una, in England you come across, you come up against incidents which hurt you so much you cannot talk about them. So yeah, I think there's a lot to be, a lot to learn, and a lot to recognise in terms of privilege, because if you don't recognise your privilege, then you can't, like, you, we can't change anything. If you can't say as a white person that you are privileged to be in a position where you can put plays up on stage with people that look like you with stories that you can relate to then you know people like Una will never have a space in theatre like they should do I think that Deserve the mic drop, but we can't drop a mic. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, and I, I, I totally agree with you. And I think it's also, I think you didn't mention it, but I think it speaks to what you were saying about how if we put these plays back on, or if more people know about Una Marson and Pokemania and what and at what a price, uh, we see the multiplicity of ways you can be black. And, and um, in theatre, there are so many ways to be white. There's only a couple of ways to be black. 
it starts know, a conversation as well. Yeah, exactly. It starts a conversation. And that's what theatre does. It starts conversations that need to be had. So, again, Una um, and Pokemania, for her to put that up on stage and start conversations back when nobody else was doing it, that's amazing. Yeah, I would definitely love to see Pokemania on stage. I think it would be amazing. I can imagine it would be like incredible. I'd like to see a retrospective atmosphere. To be honest, I'd like to see a retrospective of Una Una Marson's work on stage. Maybe a theatre could do a season, or they could do each season have one play. Or I'd love to see that. Mm-hmm. Some readings. So this is a question we're posing to you, British theatre industry, a, a challenge to to revive Una Marson's work and legitimate further her importance in British theatre history. And so don't yeah. Put it on by a white person. Don't get a white person to direct it, please. <laughs> you heard it here. So yeah, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next week when we're zooming off from the thirties to the 50s in the Black Plays Archive to talk about Errol John and Barry Record. Thank um, you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for Dee. Thanks to Una. Thanks for listening, yeah. See you next time. Bye. This podcast was made in partnership with the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama, the National Theatre, and supported by the London Arts and Humanities Partnership. If you want more information about these podcast episodes, go to the Black Plays Archive website.